With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon. The show that takes an honest look into the heart of all things that shape the fabric of your entire life. And now, here's Nancy. Hey there, how's it going? I am doing fabulous today. I had some things and thoughts going on this week that I think you might find interesting. Nothing out of the ordinary, just a week in the life of a self-made woman. Still looking for the essence of who I am right now that could be expressed authentically to you. So I asked my neighbor friend, who is actually no longer my neighbor since he moved away about a month ago, he had a really good answer that actually surprised me because it was so accurate. Sometimes other people can see things in us and about us that we don't see in ourselves because we're living right smack dab in the middle of it. But we have to keep in mind that it is always someone else's view of us and our lives. It's how they see and perceive us. Since I am immersed in my own life, duh, we all are, it never occurred to me to talk about this aspect of my life, when actually it's an important part of what has been shaping my struggles, my challenges, and my day-to-day routine. He said, talk about what it's like being an independent woman after separation. That is certainly what I've been living, but nobody cares about the life of a woman after separation, and that's really sad. Because billions of women like me are suffering and struggling to get back on our feet again after devoting what many would call the best years of our life to our husband, family, and home. Do you care? Would you rather listen to the play-by-play of a golf game or snow melting in a frigid tundra? How about when I rephrase the idea to something like, what does it take for a woman to become a successful entrepreneur in today's society? Now that has a totally different appeal to it altogether. Let's start with the idea of entrepreneur. What exactly is an entrepreneur? According to one official internet definition, an entrepreneur is a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. That's a semi-accurate definition, nothing wrong with it in theory other than the fact it's totally lacking in providing any sense of what an entrepreneur really is. My definition is slightly different. An entrepreneur is an individual who believes in taking life by the reins, riding on the wings of passion and purpose, through daunting challenges and seemingly insurmountable obstacles, spurred on by the mission in our hearts and the unshakable faith that we can and will make a difference in the world, Even though the light at the end of the tunnel is so dim and so far away, it doesn't look like there is anything shining there at all. We are creative women who have ideas, usually lots of ideas. Sometimes so many ideas we don't know which journey to embark upon first. So let me tell you a little bit about my week as an entrepreneur. A couple days ago, a friend called and said he'd like to come over and visit. I said, sure, but give me a heads up because I'm working. He kind of chuckled. And I noticed that I started defending myself by explaining things he already knew, which was definitely an energy drain. 
I said that, you know, I started a radio station and there's still lots for me to do. I help the host figure out the technical stuff. I'm continuing to build and tweak the website. I have my own show to do. I also have renters, which means the house has to be kept up to a certain standard on a daily basis. I can't leave dishes in the sink until next meal. I have all the outside maintenance to do, like snow removal, grass cutting, painting the house, repairs, you know, weather permitting. If you're a homeowner, you know exactly what I mean. The list goes on and on. Now, add a couple businesses on top of that. My friend just laughed as if he thought I'd live some other sort of life altogether. It made me feel like I had the housewife syndrome all over again. You know the one where stay-home moms don't do anything all day. The house cleans itself. The kids are raised into upstanding citizens all by themselves. Sometimes I think that my daughters actually even believe that that they raise themselves. <laughs> the laundry washes, dries, folds, and pops into the appropriate drawers and closets of the respectful owners all by itself. Nutritious meals appear on the table with the twitch of a nose. Yep, the lives of homemakers and moms consist of watching daytime soaps and eating bonbons. Just as an aside, do you know why they are called soaps? Because way back when the daytime drama TV serials began, washing machine and dish soap manufacturers were the sponsors of these shows. Yeah, my mom told me that years ago. Even back then, they assumed homemakers were lounging on the sofa watching TV during the daytime hours. I'm sure some women had it on when the babes were napping and the older kids were quietly coloring pictures in their bedrooms. It gave the moms some form of adult quasi-conversation while they were ironing, getting the pot roast in the oven, vacuuming the rugs, making dentist and doctor's appointments, baking cupcakes for the PTA bake sale, and, of course, whatever they were required to do in regards to the volunteer work they were committed to at their local church. My daughter says my lists go on and on. That's because the to-do lists go on and on and on for a homemaker. Yep. Homemakers and moms sit around watching TV all day. A small part of me took offense to my friend's comment, and another part of me resented that I took offense because I knew that what he said was not about me. It was about his own lack of understanding. And I was angry at myself for getting even slightly riled by it. I think it's still a deep wound that has not entirely healed yet. But that's cool because it made me resolve to set some regular business working hours. That's probably something all entrepreneurs should do because often when we work from home, people think we have all the time in the world to talk on the phone and have a cookies and tea chat at their convenience, with homemade cookies of course, because we have so much time to bake. We often don't set a schedule for ourselves because most of us work around the clock. It's just what you do when you have your own business or businesses. So I figured I'd try the typical 9 to 5 thing and see how that would work for me. Effective immediately. <laughs> uh -huh, right. I agree. All of you entrepreneurs out there know the reality of that idea. We don't go to work for someone else who writes us a paycheck at the end of the week. We are responsible for every aspect of our business. Anyway, I was willing to give the 9 to 5 thing a shot. I got up the next day eager to punch the clock and accomplish a whole bunch of stuff because now I was on a sort of deadline. I only had eight hours in which to do 24 hours of work. I was pumped. Ideas were flowing. Then I looked out the window and saw that my renter was stuck in the driveway. 
Did I happen to mention to you that until an entrepreneur's business starts to really flourish, we need to have a minimum of one or two other jobs? Well, it's true, at least with us independent women who basically got kicked to the curb after devoting 30 years to raising a family and caring for a home. So I rent rooms in my house to people who need somewhere to stay. In the summer, I open it up as a bed and breakfast, but that is another story. My renter was stuck in the snow in the driveway and had an important meeting to go to out of town, so I went out and helped dig out his car. And since I was already in my 80s retro snowsuit and moon boots, I decided I might as well clear the rest of the driveway. I had a big argument with myself about that. Part of me said, don't do it, Nancy. Your broken ribs are still healing. This is not a good idea. The other part of me said, yeah, but there's two feet of snow and someone's got to do it. It's my responsibility as the homeowner and landlady to see that the driveway is clear. As you may have guessed, I cleared the driveway and my ribs were not happy about that decision whatsoever. It took me four hours. Since the driveway was clear, I went out and did okay, some okay. errands before the next snowstorm hit. By the time I got back, it was two o'clock. My cats hadn't been fed, the wood stoves hadn't been cleaned and lit, firewood hadn't been brought in, I didn't have breakfast, lunch, or a shower, and I was in pain. It was three hours until punch-out time, and I needed to have a rest, and I hadn't gotten anything done. For my business, that is. I looked longingly at my art room, knowing that it was going to remain cold and empty for another day, or two, or who knows how long. I was not going to fulfill the promise I made with myself to paint a masterpiece each week, at least not that week. When we don't fulfill the promises we make to ourselves, it does a number to our self-worth and self-esteem. I know. I've written a book about it and created a coaching program based around some of these core concepts. When I'm doing art, I'm totally in the zone. It's a meditative state where my mind is clear. Nothing exists except what I'm doing at that very moment. I wasn't going to go here today, but what the heck. We need to face the white elephant that has been very present and pregnant in my show consciousness since well before I broadcast my first show. What am I talking about? Meditation. I keep ignoring the topic of meditation. I'm not sure why. Maybe because it sounds like such a boring topic. It's not. Maybe because there are so many misconceptions about meditation that I don't know where to begin to clear them up. Maybe because I don't know how to talk about it without being preachy-teachy. I don't know. Maybe it's all those reasons and more. I am very qualified to talk about meditation because I am a yogi, or the female version, which is called a yogini. A loose definition of a yogi is someone who practices yoga, meditation, and has achieved a high level of spiritual insight. What does that have to do with being in the zone, keeping the promises I made to myself, and entrepreneurship? absolutely everything. For those of you who just tuned in, thanks for joining us. I'm Nancy Murdoch, host of Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon. To catch up a little bit, I've been talking about what it's like to be an independent woman and a successful entrepreneur in today's society and the journey I'm personally going through. Right now, I'm talking about the part meditation plays in getting us into the zone. Being in the zone doesn't happen instantly. It comes from building up our personal power on a steady basis over a long period of time. How many champion athletes do you know who have become an overnight success? What about dancers or singers? How about fashion designers? 
It takes years of dedicated discipline, devotion, and fine-tuning our mental, emotional, and physical capacity before we are able to achieve the level of success we are looking for in any area of our life. Confidence and self-esteem are a vital part of our personal power. If we lack confidence, we're playing an amateur's game at best. To build confidence and increase self-esteem, it's important to honor the commitments we make to others and vitally important to honor the commitments we make to ourselves. Low self-esteem causes us to consistently devalue ourselves in relationship with others. We also fail to set up healthy boundaries and we shut down our own personal interests, believing they are unimportant. Lack of confidence drains our energy, mental, emotional, and physical. At some level, there is always a tape playing in the back of our minds that in some way puts us down. The tape I had playing this week was, I have to take care of my obligations and responsibilities to others before I can do the things that are important to me. When we inhibit our own self-expression, we stop believing in ourselves and our value. If our own sense of value is diminished, how can we expect to make a beneficial difference in the lives of others? It becomes very difficult to see and fulfill our life's purpose when we believe we don't matter. We lose sight of our magnificence and forget that we all have special qualities, talents, and gifts that can benefit someone who needs what we have to offer. As our self-confidence grows, our authentic self emerges. We begin to take more risks without fear of failure. We're no longer preoccupied with obtaining the approval of others. We don't care what anybody thinks about us. Our relationships are more rewarding. We start to pursue activities that bring us joy and satisfaction. And we begin to make positive contributions to the world. So, by not doing art this week, I not only did a disservice to myself, I did a disservice to the world. And when you really think about it, great art is one of the most coveted things in the world. Take Maslow's Triangle, for example. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, Maslow was an American psychologist who studied the hierarchy of human needs. He said that people are motivated to gain satisfaction of the needs that were just above the level where they currently are. He designed a human potential pyramid outlining our human needs from the most basic such as air, food, shelter, water, warmth, sex, and sleep at the very base of the pyramid. At the very top of the pyramid is transcendence. He defines transcendence as the ability to help others to self-actualization after already having achieved it for oneself. Just below the level of self-actualization is aesthetic needs. The things that fall into this category are beauty, balance, art, and music, among other things. We need to be able to commune with nature and connect with the truly beautiful things the world has to offer. Having appreciation for the beautiful things in the world helps us to reach deeper levels of intimacy with each other and oneness with nature. Art plays a huge role in our ability to reach self-actualization, believe it or not. And yeah, that's what they take out of the schools. What's up with that? And that's why art is near the very top of the pyramid of human potential. Art has played a pivotal role in human development since the beginning of time. Some say it's the other way around, but even if someone's art is mimicking life, the mere act of that person expressing herself is an authentic representation of self, regardless of what it looks like. People want beauty in their lives, and sometimes they will do anything to get it. 
Back in 1911, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story about the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa was stolen from the Louvre. For all you art history enthusiasts out there, the Mona Lisa was painted by Leonardo da Vinci sometime between 1503 and 1507. I actually wonder how many times it was stolen between then and 1911. 400 years is a long time. A lot can happen, and not all of it makes it into the pages of history books. The heist I'm talking about was done by a museum employee. He was hiding in a broom closet until the museum closed. Then he snuck out, removed the Mona Lisa from its frame, and walked out of the building with it hidden underneath his coat. He sat in his kitchen looking at the painting for a few days before trying to sell it. So even he appreciated the beauty of it. I bet you even he was deciding whether to keep it or give it up for the money it could bring him. Greed won out in the end, which means he wasn't high enough up on Maslow's Pyramid to be able to truly appreciate the finer things in life. Oh well. But interesting, before they caught this guy, they brought in Pablo Picasso for questioning. Yeah, someone fingered him as a suspect in the, in the heist. And as a fun fact, the Mona Lisa is the most expensive painting in the world, worth $740 million, according to Sotheby's. And speaking of Pablo Picasso, in 2007, two paintings were stolen from the home of Picasso's granddaughter, Diana, in the middle of the night. Both Diana and her mother, Maya, Picasso's daughter, were sound asleep when it happened. Didn't even get disturbed at all. I understand the allure and temptation of stealing a valuable and famous painting. It's the stuff great stories are made of that have captivated audiences since the beginning of time. But this theft was really sad because one of the paintings the thieves stole was a painting of Maya with her doll. She must have been very young at the time for her father to have painted her with her doll. And that's, to me, that's just wrong. To have any of your personal property taken against your will is a violation of self. But to have such a special and personal treasure ripped out of your life is just really bad karma. It's a violation on so many levels. I don't even want to begin to explain it. You know, I, look, I saw the painting and it's a very moving painting. You can feel the love between the little girl and her doll. And the doll and Maya, it's really interesting to uh, see the... The love, the connection between the doll and Maya. It's actually a very beautiful painting. I went to the Picasso Museum when I was in Antibes, France many, many years ago. I'll have to tell you about that sometime. But about six months later, the French police recovered both of the stolen paintings and the thieves were arrested. Do you know that only about 5 to 10% of stolen art is ever recovered? kind of makes me wonder if the art hanging in galleries and museums around the world are really originals or forgeries. I think most of it's fake. I can't prove it, but I have a sense that most of the famous paintings by historically well-known artists are hanging in the private estates of wealthy art lovers, and the pieces people like you and me see in museums are just good copies. Some of the copies even might date back to the time of the originals. That's how good they are. I'm not into conspiracy theories, but let's face it, a lot of time has passed since some of these art pieces were created, and they have moved from one art lover's residence to another and been passed on to others through wills, sales, auctions, the plundering of war, 
They've even been traded as ransom in kidnapping cases. There's been lots of opportunity to whip up a forgery and switch it out for the original. Way back in the day, not my day, the master artist wasn't always the one who created the painting anyway. He had apprentices working under him. Some of those apprentices were darn good at their jobs. For example, Leonardo da Vinci began as an apprentice in Verrocchio's workshop. Botticelli was an apprentice in the same workshop. Don't tell me either one of those two dudes couldn't have forged a painting of one of their contemporaries. That's what apprenticing was all about, learning techniques and copying a style to match the masters. Before Verrocchio had his own studio, he was an apprentice under Donatello. Anyway, the point is that art matters. It has always mattered, and it will always matter. It's more than just paint on canvas. It's one page from the chapter of an artist's soul that can never truly be duplicated. Art is one way to express our true essence, and meditation is the way to be at one with our true essence. Meditation is a state of profound, deep peace that occurs when the mind is calm and silent, but completely alert. It's a state where we are in thoughtless awareness. We're not trying to do anything. We're not trying to attain anything or be anything. We're not trying anything at all. It's a state of total non-action. It's the route to pure consciousness, to transcendence, the ultimate awakened state of being. Only through meditation will you discover your true nature and find the confidence to live well. In order to experience a state of pure, positive bliss and vibrant health, we must disengage from our thoughts and emotions. Meditation is not a quick fix, but it's a way to effectively deal with and even eliminate stress, tension, anxiety, and fatigue that is the root cause of poor health, dysfunctional relationships, and spiritual poverty. Meditation isn't just for gurus and hippies anymore. Many successful business people, celebrities, and health-conscious individuals in all walks of life have made meditation part of their daily routine. Professional sports coaches have found that meditation helps players become more centered, focused, and aware. These qualities have resulted in their games being much more effective. In fact, meditation is taught to the L.A. Lakers and Chicago Bulls as part of their training. So what do you think about that? Oprah has a regular practice of meditating every morning. She says, I am 1,000% better when I do. Paul McCartney and, in fact, all the Beatles started meditating near the end of the 60s. Since some of the younger crowd don't seem to know who Paul McCartney is, he was one of the Beatles. If you don't know who the Beatles are, I seriously can't help you. The Beatles had the privilege of learning meditation directly from Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, a world-renowned spiritual leader and master of meditation. He was the one that uh, created the uh, TM meditation technique. You know, it always amazes me how connected we are. I remember reading about the Beatles when they visited the Maharishi and seeing photos of them all sitting together. Back then I was pretty young and didn't understand any of this stuff. But those images of the Beatles, especially John Lennon, sitting cross-legged with an Indian holy man in a long robe and white beard, stuck with me forever. I was intrigued about the whole mystical stuff from an early age. I remember thinking it was a publicity gimmick of some sort for the Beatles. The Rolling Stones were considered the bad boys, and the Beatles were considered the good boys, but they weren't really all that clean-cut in my opinion. There was still all the booze, sex, drugs, and whatever else was going on that didn't make it to the front-page headlines. 
I remember thinking that they were pretty out there and must have been paying the Maharishi big money to have a private audience with him. I had no idea how this guru stuff worked. I was so naive and formed my opinion based on Western beliefs about Eastern traditions, which are filled with misconceptions and ignorance. Anyway, here we are many, many years later, and I find out that the Maharishi was actually my guru's guru. Yeah, I have a guru. A different time and place, and I might have been sitting there right next to John, Paul, George, and Ringo. What a small world. I never thought I would have been connected to the Beatles or to the Maharishi. But when I go back to that space in my childhood, I felt some intuitive connection with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi that is just as alive today as it was back then. What is it that makes regular people like me or rich and famous people like Oprah and the Beatles turn to meditation in the first place? I think there's a lot of reasons. Many outrageously successful Fortune 500 CEOs and businessmen meditate. Bill Ford, executive chairman of Ford Motor Company, focuses on a loving-kindness, compassion meditation practice every morning. He sets his intention to go through every day with compassion, and his meditation practice has helped him achieve his goal, according to him. Larry Brilliant, CEO of the Skoll Global Threats Fund and former director of Google.org, spent two years during his 20s living in an, a Himalayan ashram meditating until one day his guru instructed him to join a World Health Organization team working to fight smallpox in New Delhi. And Arianna Huffington, president and editor-in-chief of Huffington Post Media Group, practices yoga and meditation as part of her morning routine. She says it has given her so much joy that she has brought meditation into her company, offering weekly classes for all AOL and Huffington Post employees. This week I'm participating in something called the Winter Feast for the Soul. It's 40 days of meditation. There are different facilitators involved, each one coming from a different spiritual path. We practice at home but connect with the energy of the whole group while we're meditating. Or not, we don't have to. It's a way to establish a disciplined routine. I personally meditate almost every day, but almost every day isn't every day. So that's another promise I intend to keep with myself. Unfortunately, this week I was not able to keep my promise to create a new painting, but I wanted to at least take steps in that direction with the limited time I had. So I started cleaning my art room. I was in there stirring up the energy saying, hey, get ready, I'll be here soon. This week for sure I will finish putting my jewelry making supplies away and at least lay a canvas on my art table with the paints right beside it. This is a promise I can surely keep. That's my show for today. I hope you've had fun listening. I've got more great stuff coming up for you next week. But in the meantime, if you want to check out some of my paintings, which are all for sale, by the way, you can find my websites at nancyatnoon.com. Buy my art now. Don't wait until I get famous and my art goes up for auction at Sotheby's. You won't be able to afford it then. Until next week, here's a famous quote from Pablo Picasso. I am always doing that which I cannot do in order that I may learn how to do it. Bye-bye for now. Keep it real, everyone. Thanks for joining us again on Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon. We've enjoyed your company and hope it's been fun for you, too. If you like what you're hearing, please share us with your friends and family because, well, they might like us, too. You can find us online at nancyatnoon.com. 
We've got fascinating blog posts, recipes, self-help books, weight loss CDs, coaching programs, art, jewelry, and all kinds of other cool stuff. Go ahead and check us out. NancyAtNoon.com. You'll be glad you did. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.